All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. This is the quote from Shakespeare's play As You Like It, and you're listening to As We Like It, a seven-programme series that looks at each of these seven ages. In this programme, we take a look at the second stage, Schoolboy. Then the whining schoolboy, with his satchel and shining morning face, weeping like a snail unwillingly to school. Ben, would you give out the box of memorandums? That first time we crept unwillingly to school is a memory maker for a lot of people. The first day I went to school, national school we used to call it in those days, I had about three Irish miles to walk into school. And the first day I went to school, of course, the new girl in the school, they were all, they were all really terrific fuss about. Well, now, the next day then wasn't so good. <laughs> I could have slept the next day for something else. But I got a sweet out of a glass jar the first day. I thought, oh, this is a great place. I remember we, when we walked in, um, me and Mia, I saw... I used to have really long nails, so then I saw Mia biting her nails, so then I tried it, and I've been doing it ever since. So then, um, we, me and Mia used to always talk, so in our, oh, in our other room, we weren't allowed to sit beside each other because we would talk too much. I do remember my first day in school, actually. I went to school here in Thomastown, to the convent school, and I think everybody of my period would remember it because there was a little nun, Sister Albertus, and she is still remembered, even though she's years dead now. But she was the kindest little person, I suppose, you could imagine. All I remember is when my mum kept taking photos of us and my two older sisters just wanted us to leave. Can I ask you all just to look over here for a moment? So, can anybody tell me, hands up now for this, who is this? Granny. No, obviously, yeah. Who? For the majority of young children nowadays, school is a happy place and full of good experiences. What do you like about coming to school? That I get to play with my friends and talk to them. This contrasts hugely to times 50 or more years ago. And what was school like? It wasn't very nice. The master was terribly cross and and abusive and a very poor teacher. I don't mind saying it. A terribly poor teacher. At Tenny Park Nursing Home in Kilkenny, I chat with some of the residents there about their educational experiences. Victor Hennessy attended school during the war years under the tutelage of an unkind master. I was in school during the start of the Second World War and there was a big map of Europe and I was, so I was 11 or 12 at the time, a big map of Europe on the wall and he was telling us all the battles that were fought in different areas in the First World War to young lads of 12 years of age instead of teaching us proper Irish or English or, or maths or whatever. He was a terrible poor maths teacher and it was very hard on people that hadn't brains. Very severe on him now. I, I could tell you a lot but I don't want to say too much. He, he could flog him. He's long since dead which was well, I'm, you know, I'm telling you the truth now, you know. Yeah, those days were tough days. Well, they were tough days. Yeah. But you see, in those days, the only people that were educated was the priest, the doctor, and the schoolmaster. Mm. And no one else had done much more than primary education. Mm. 
and they were able to do whatever they liked. How big was the school? There was about 70, 75 children in, in, in a two-teacher school, yes. Did you have toilets and equipment? Uh, we had oh, very basic ones. Oh, leave us so. <laughs> Down at the end of the schoolyard, there was two, one for the girls and one for, one for the boys. And you look into it and they were not done Maggots, there were swimming around. Oh, <laughs> and the stench. <laughs> oh, leave it. <laughs> well, and we won't talk about no, that anymore. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and what about, like, school books and pencils and things like that? Ah, well, we had the school books, all right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have to be home, big bags or like they do now. Mm. Just terrible the way that small children had to carry big bags on their backs. While Victor's headmaster was tough, the junior assistant mistress was kind, which was the opposite of Mary Carroll's experience. The master was very nice, but the mistress was difficult. We'll say no more about her. She expected us to go down the down the road at the side of the school, and we'd have to go into the woods there and pick sticks. Kippings or whatever they call them. And um, we picked them for her and she'd light the fire with them and then she'd stand in front of it. <laughs> and block the heat from you. Yes, yes. Was it like nine o'clock did you start at yes, school? Yes, we started at school nine o'clock, I think. And we had to walk. When we sit from Jenkinstown, we walked, uh, I suppose, three mile. And what were the roads like then? Oh, you know, tar. And guitar when the summer we take the socks off, the shoes and socks, and the tar come up between your toes <laughs> and your poor mother. <laughs> and we didn't think of it like that. So, so funny. And what sort of clothes, what was the fashion in those days when you'd be going to school? Um, whatever you had, whatever your parents could uh, afford to give you. My mother was good. She made clothes for us. She was great. We'd go to school and we'd have little puff sleeves and the mistress would take us up in front of the class and say, now that's what I call good dressmaking. And we'd be so delighted going home to mother. <laughs> but she'd do that anyway. Yeah. It wouldn't be for the teacher, she'd do it. And did you enjoy school? Did, I think. Yes, generally I did. I liked when we went into the master's school, not much better than in the mistress I remember we had arithmetic sums, as we used to call them then, and uh, you put in a, a ring and you got, a, we'll say, a sum to do, seven multiplied by nine or something like that. It was hopeless and bad. I was the only one in the class that knew the answer. I never forgot it because I got such praise. That was, that was my one shining point there. Yeah. And you think of the first day I went to school, as, as I told you, the, imagine the dress I wore. Can you remember the dress? What I was can. that like? It was a brown and cream, kind of a chick, and there was cream collar on it, and there was cream cuffs on it. And while Monica got on okay at her national school, Breda, on the other hand, had a terrible time. I hated the nuns. And if you were a poor class child, the nuns didn't know you. Because mm-hmm. if your father had a shop or doctors, up, you were got first of everything. Mm-hmm. Which was very wrong. And it was between the brothers. My eldest brother, my eldest sisters, helped me along with doing exercise and everything else. Mm. 
Oh, I, I hated it. And the nuns had a habit of pulling your big deals. And I said to Mary one day, if you pull me again now, I said, I'll pull the veil off. Don't do that. And I said, why? Because she said you'll be fired out of this. And none of this will be left in breathing. Well, she, I feel them pinches. She'll tell her you feel it. But don't be saying I'll pull the veil off. I would deny you, though. <laughs> And even when we would be out playing, and if that happened, tell you, Brita Kenny done that. Brita Kenny. <laughs> so you were happy to get out of school then? I was delighted. Each child is special, and it doesn't matter, and it never did matter that much whether they were the star pupil or the unfortunate one down near the bottom of the class, whether they were the star hurler who was going to make it at top level or just a child who had a hurl and went out and enjoyed poking a ball around the field and that kind of thing. Uh, all children are special. They have to be treated as such. They're delicate little things. They're like flowers that have just come up, really, and you have to try and guide them as best you can. You have to try and give them uh, the best outlook on life that you can, that life is good. They'll, they'll get enough hard bumps along the way without creating too many more for them. Thomastown native Joe Dunphy was principal of Ballyhale National School for about 40 years. In those 40 years, he saw the removal of corporal punishment. I, I was so glad the day it was announced that corporal punishment was gone out of schools. Like everybody, when I started my time, the cane was still in use in the school. I never used fists, shoe, uh, rulers or anything else. I slapped with the cane as was allowed in the school. I hope not too much. But I think the best thing that ever happened in my teaching career was the removal of corporal punishment from the schools because then every teacher had to teach on his or her ability, not on how much fear you could instill into the unfortunate children. And you can come around children in a nice way. If they, if they see that there's a drop of human kindness in you, it helps an awful lot and it allows you to influence them. And what do you think makes a, makes a good teacher? Oh golly, I think number one, one of the first things to make any kind of a reasonable teacher, you have to have a good sense of humour. And oh God, I could write a book on the funny incidents. I mean, I remember Paddy Crosby with the school around the corner years back, but I can see where he got all his funny incidents from and the like. But you know, children are wonderful people. I, I still love to this day, I love getting in among children and enjoying them and knocking a bit of fun out of them and that kind of thing. Uh, secondly, I suppose, you had to be aware of, of children's circumstances, the conditions they were coming out of. I've known of children now, not necessarily in Ballyhale, of children who came to school hungry, who came to school half-dressed and that kind of thing. Now, Ballyhale was one of the luckier ones. We didn't see that. You don't see it as much in country areas as you would in city areas, I suppose. You know, you had to be as kind as you could to children. Children who needed the extra little leg up, you had to give them the extra little leg up and the, the word of encouragement. Now, I suppose we all failed, and I'm sure I failed as well. There were times uh, when they got the sharp end of my tongue. Uh, you, you had to be tough enough. You, kind of, you couldn't be principal of school either and survive for 30, 40 years uh, unless you had a, a bit of a streak in you that, that commanded uh, respect and control and but you had to realise that you were dealing with children. You had to be able to look into children's minds. 
and uh, make life as pleasant as you could for them. And though homework is widely regarded as unpleasant for most school children, Joe believes it's very important. I always felt teaching was different to other jobs in that if I was a painter and went to paint the walls in the room here, I could look this evening and see how much I had done and how much still had to be done. Now in teaching, you could think you had a lot done and you go back the following day and tear your hair out and that uh, <laughs> then why didn't have as much gone in as you hoped had and you had to go back and redo it or there were certain children who were labouring and you had to bring them all along. You, you couldn't just go ahead and leave the unfortunate few behind. You'd like to bring them all mm. along with you like a, like a good hen, like a good hen was a clutch that you bring them all with you, you know. So homework w- was vital for that reason. Now, I know that nowadays in my old school, I'd say they get no homework at the weekend. And I'm sorry that I didn't think of that because that was a good idea. That was a good reward for children who had worked during the week, let them off. And as well as that, you see, you have to prepare children. You can't very well let them go through a primary primary school with no homework and then start uh, in September in a second level school where they get three hours of homework. That's That's too big a jump. You have to prepare people and uh, bring them along at a, at, a, at a gradual level rather than expecting them to jump Beecher Brook as the first fence in the Grand National, you know. What are the chords you're playing? Good teacher is responsive to the children that are in the class or the people, whoever they're teaching, and looks at what what they are interested in learning. So it's about following the children's interests. You know, I think that's the secret to good learning happening. And um, and sometimes it's even to kind of take the emphasis off the teaching and look at the learning that's actually happening because children will learn. All humans want to learn and are curious about things. So I think the secret to being a good teacher is really to get out of the way and let the children get on with it and just to create an environment that facilitates their learning because they will learn. You just need to create the environment that allows them to learn and just ask the questions, what is it that they need? Um, in order to learn and then put those things in place. When I caught up with primary school teacher Maura Brennan, she was teaching third, fourth, fifth and sixth classes in Kells. The students there were very environmentally aware and the school had just received their ninth green flag, the attainment of which involved some very interesting projects. So we did an acorn project and Munter Mora put um, a notice up on Facebook saying that we like um, people from all around the county or all around the country to bring to send over some acorns to our school and we got loads of acorns from like Galway from 17 counties in Ireland and then we planted them and then we were going to bring them to the Native Woodland Trust to plant a forest. And do you like school? Yeah. 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 Tell us about why you like school. The subjects that we do. In particular now, what one do you like the best? Maths. I like division and multiplication. I like drama. We do drama. Can you put on any accents? Uh, I don't. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, 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 she can, she can. Can you? Do you want to do an Australian accent? Good day, mate. Cook some shrimps on the barbie. <laughs> we have a bit of a joke that sometimes when 
they're not listening to me. If I speak in, a, in an American accent, they suddenly start listening to me because I have a theory that they watch so much American TV that they're actually more used to listening to an American accent than an Irish one. Give so. us your American accent then. <laughs> We're gonna march something like, her. well, what's the one I usually say? Will you do my American accent? Like, oh, um, denominator. When we're talking about denominators, and what do you call the one? And the numerators when we're doing fractions. And that works. It seems to, yeah. Or a Cork accent. They respond well to a Cork accent as well. Yeah. Well, are you listening now? Take out your books and then I can get their attention again. So I think it's any change in voice and they seem to tune in again. Yeah, it does. Yeah. We all learn differently. And I think Albert Einstein said, if we teach an elephant to fish, um, he'll never be a genius. Um, so I guess that just means that we all have the potential uh, capacity to be a genius if we're directing our energy into the into the correct path or the correct learning that's right for us. Um, so it's about finding your own hidden talents and what works for one person might not work for another. And I suppose designing your teaching day then is just taking that into account and that learning is varied, whether it's like learning through doing. Some people are more kinesthetic learners, so they might need to actually physically be making and building things in order to understand the process. Um, so it's about giving children access to all those different methods of learning, which you can access today. Could everyone go back to their places and you can pop your guitars just there for now. One of the learning tools that Maura Brennan introduced to Kakenny is Forest School. Forest School originates from Sweden and it came to Ireland about five or six years ago. And I saw a need for children needing to be in the outdoors more. And it seemed to me like a solution for an awful lot of the challenges that children face these days, like be it anxiety, overuse of technology, concentration and even health you know it really gets kids outdoors if you're not really interested in sports maybe you want to be outdoors in a different type of way and forest school allows you to do that. Miss Brendan brings us down to the Priory and we make like we make and we made like shapes out of sticks and everything it's like she does forest school with us and she does a camp in the summer as well for it. And we make like nettle tea and we make all different types of tea like that down there. Miss Brennan brings out four people on Thursday and they go, sometimes if it's raining, they go inside the shelter and if it's not, they go outside and I think tie ropes to the tree and climb across it. So we used to, so we put one rope on the bottom and one rope on the t- top and then we swung from them. That's the only thing I like about school. Using nature as a learning tool is nothing new. Back hundreds of years ago, the old Irish druids recognised that the schoolboy and the seeds of potential in all of us could be honoured at the spring equinox. Kilkenny druid, Emer Burke. Coming in to, um, say, around the 21st, 22nd of, of March is when we celebrate the equinox, the spring equinox. That is our time in our tradition, it's around planting seeds. Planting potatoes would have been in with the farmers here. 
or pruning your roses. And by pruning roses, you are you do that to promote new growth. So it's not killing off. But in order for something to be born and to renew itself, something has to die. So we prune the roses. But for us, this is around planting seeds. And um, for example, in our ceremony for, for the spring equinox, we plant seeds, which could be an idea. It could be an intention that you have to tidy your house, write a book, do a course, write that letter to somebody, make amends, whatever it is is important to you. And you put the seed in a pot and you nurture that pot as a, a ritualistic or concrete way of nurturing that seed or that idea that you have that you want to to fulfill. Mm. And that is beautiful because it's a beautiful reminder. Many times we make New Year's resolutions on the 1st of January and by the 5th they're forgotten. So when you plan something... Here you have is this representation of this idea or this something that you want to bring into um, into, be, into being. So now you're beginning to actualize the potential and hopefully it, it germinates and comes through. Growth is instinctual and so too is the instinct to be amongst one's own tribe, to be amongst one's own peers. Mark Redmond is a psychotherapist based in Kilkenny. There is that call to be among other children, to play that, that's equally an instinct. So there is that pull in that direction. Mm-hmm. It does want that. And so the focus then is shifting from the mother and the family to um, neighbours and school friends and whatever. It, it wants that too. As long as a child feels safe, it will go out and explore. And when it feels unsafe, it just knows where to run then, go back home or to go back to the mother's arms. So there's always that safety and then exploration and that exploration that gets further each time. Because, it, yeah, it does want to explore. That's part of our nature. We want to we want to live. We're explorers. In a sense, that's what we're here for. We are to explore and experience life. We want to experience. Come teenage years, we are then moving from identifying with the family to slowly separating out and forming our own life. So then we are shifting our focus of identity to our peers. We need to fit in with our peers. There's that slow migration from, from the family. But in teenage years, we naturally want the safe environment always to return to because that transition, you know, that's a major transition that's taking place in teenage years. Our identity is really forming. It's a challenge for parents to let go and to, to basically trust their children, um, but equally to step in when, when needed. And that's not always easy. And then, you know, the most optimal thing that that would be maybe a negotiation. And on this, Gemma Lawler, guidance counsellor at Tyndall College Carlo, concurs. You know, at adolescence, you know, part of their identity development forms at that stage. And it's, it's so important for an individual person to break away from the family, to break away from the support from the parents or the elder people in the family, say their aunts or their uncles or their grandparents, and to find that they fit in with the group, that they are accepted and they want validation. They want to be uh, admired. They want to be look popular. They want to, to feel as if they are welcome. Um, and that's really, really important to find out which group they fit in with. Can that be a little bit of a struggle for some as well? Do you find that? Absolutely. And, uh, and there is a pressure um, to conform even though they would absolutely disagree, but they they really do feel the need to conform and to be popular. Um, Whereas if you can get a child to understand that their individual personality is totally unique and the more true they are to themselves, the more happier they will be. Mm -hmm. But 
they have to find their own level. And that's oh, that only comes from experience rather than from old fogies like myself explaining that to them. But it, it's a life it's a life lesson that has to be gone through a life phase that has to be gone through. You want to do something else that all your friends are doing, but you can't because they, your parents won't let you because they think you're too young or whatever. But then everyone else is doing it and then it's just pressure from each side. It's just hard. Like At Ossery Youth in Kilkenny, I meet some students from Skullmurra in Johnstown who talk to me about what it's like being a teenager. We first talk about parents. Like there are kind of different kind of relationships with uh, parents. Some relationships, like you, um, you have certain conditions and terms and you both agree with them. Other kind of relationship with parents, like they're just constantly fighting, constantly all out war, like um, be like studying, be like going out. Like sometimes, like so I suppose, parents can absolutely wreck your heads, but you have to um, admit most of the time that they have your interests at best. They want you to have a a good life in the future. Like they want you to go to college. They want you to get a good job. So they have your best interest at heart. It can depend on the parent as well. Like some people might not be able to have the best relationship with their parents because, you know, there might be something in the family like drug abuse, um, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Um, the parent might not always be there. They might be neglectful. So, and then especially if you're dealing with the kind of pressures of other things in school, it can be hard to talk to them. So that's why it's good that we get the opportunity now with the Oscar youth and everything to be able to like talk about it and you know like release the stigma about or like be able to find other ways to help if you're not able to have that proper relationship with your family. No matter whether it's the year 2019 or the year 1919 a parent will invariably worry about their teenage children. Here's Monica and Mary who are living in Tenny Park nursing home reminiscing about raising their teenage children. I had six children Teenage years were they were worrying years, like for parents, you know. There was an old Volkswagen at home, and they used to go off in the Volkswagen. And I used to be looking out, you know, could I see them coming up? They had because they put Kilkenny in the Volkswagen when they came in. Do you know what I mean? Everyone they wanted to lift, they gave them a lift, and they were nearly on the roof coming. So they weren't good years, you know. They were worrying kind of years, yeah. and then of course when they began to meet people and do lines with people and some you wouldn't be happy about and some be okay. You know, you go through that with them as well. So the teenage years aren't good for anybody, I I think, really. You know, they're tough years. The children didn't give me any trouble, really. It worried me a bit, like, where they'd be going and who they were going with. And, you know, it reminds me of my own mother, you know, who's going and all that kind of stuff, you know. You'd be wanting to know the ins and outs of everything. You would, yeah, that's it, yeah. They wouldn't be wanting to tell you anything. No, no, they wouldn't either. <laughs> they wouldn't try to they'd only tell you what you think you'd like to hear. Would you be the same, Mary? Yes. Yeah. When they come back, that's yeah. the big question. Would you be able to go to sleep when they No, be? no, you don't no, go you to wouldn't. sleep. No. You might stand at the window mm. looking out. Yeah, that's what I used to be doing. <laughs> I just mm. see the light of the car coming up. <laughs> yeah. Would yeah. you be the same sorry now? Very safe. Would you? Yep. Yeah. And they were wild by my <laughs> They were wild, were they? Yeah, they were. Yeah. Although I only had two children, so that was much easier on me. Mm. And but I knew their friends, and they used to bring in their friends. That was good. Yeah. And I remember, too, I was a widow, and... With that came the fact that Catherine used to ask me all sorts of questions about life. 
and I was always honest with her and tell her. And she talked to the others, and they'd ask her all sorts of questions, intimate and everything. Yeah, so it was like you were educating. I was educating, but I didn't know that. It seems that as long as a teenager has one person who they can turn to, even if it's not their parents, then they'll be all right. They can also avail of the services of youth groups. Jacintha Purcell works at Ossery Youth in Kilkenny. Headstrong, the charity, they're now Jigsaw, um, ran a campaign a couple of years ago called One Good Adult. So that if every young person had one good adult in their life, it would help. So it doesn't matter who that young, uh, that adult is for the young person. It can be family, it can be people in their community, through sport, through school. Us as youth workers, it can be anybody. But if they have that someone that when something is going on, that they can have someone to talk to. When I visit, Jacinta and her colleagues are taking the students from Colosh the Murray in Johnstown through a workshop. The first day we look at drug awareness, so we spend a whole day on that topic. Uh, the second day is on sexual health and the third day is on mental health, uh, which is today. And then on the fourth day it's called uh, the peer education and campaign planning. So the idea is we only have... 20-something students that we can have in the group at any given time. So the idea is that they go back with the information they've learned and they create awareness and campaigns within their whole school so that everyone can benefit from it. And the important part of the programme is that they're getting accurate information and they're getting it in a setting that's just a little bit different to the classroom. So it's really interactive. It's all done through fun games and activities and team challenges. I've learned that the drugs and alcohol abuse is like there's lots of drugs that like you won't even know and we didn't know what loads looked like and now we know what to look out for. And in sexual health, we learned about um, contraception and um, STDs and all that and mental health, we learned about like depression and anxiety. What was it like learning all that? Well, it was a bit embarrassing at first, you know, you'd be out of your comfort zone. But um, as you got through it and... You opened your mind a bit. You got to learn a lot about it, and um, it like really helps. So when you get older and it really comes into play, you'll know what to do, and and in different situations, you'll know how to manage them. So. We learned that if you're struggling at school, or if you're being bullied, or anything like that, or if you make a bad decision, you could be um, affected by that, and your mental health could be affected. Like if you make a bad decision with your sexual health or with drugs, your um, well-being and your mental health could be affected by anxiety or depression. Or you would get situations and you'd have to say how you would feel in a certain situation, what you would do to cope with it. Like straight away you might think, yeah, you might need to tell someone if you're feeling depressed or something like that, but you wouldn't like think straight away, oh, I'll go for a walk to make myself feel better, even though it's one of the simpler things you wouldn't think of it straight away, that kind of a thing, you know. Like, walking might help me, but it mightn't help one of your other friends. And to do what makes you happy and make sure that you're thinking about yourself and keeping your mind positive and that kind of thing. And what do you like? What makes you happy these days? I do Irish dancing, so I'd go out to my studio and just kind of dance down, get all the bad energy out. You get anger out as well. By pursuing interests and getting to know themselves, teenagers are engaging with their developmental journey that started in infancy. In infancy, they are trying to form a basic sense of trust. Can they trust themselves? Can they trust their environment? And in early childhood, then it's, you know, what's their own autonomy like? 
Can you be an autonomous being? If you can't be that, then you will have be left with a sense of shame and doubt about yourself. So if you're carrying them forward in, into teenage years, you know, they haven't really mastered the childhood tasks well, then they're going to bring that with them into adolescence and will make that a bit more difficult. But teenage adolescence is a chance to um, repair those things as well. James Marcia is um, a psychologist or therapist that would do a lot of work with adolescents. So James Marcia talks about four outcomes of adolescence. One is you haven't achieved an identity, that you're quite grounded in yourself and able to move on. A moratorium, you pretend to be quite confident, but you're in reality when you go home, when you're sitting on your own, you know you're not quite confident. So you're putting on this brave face and, um, and that's a lot of energy needs goes into that. Uh, foreclosure then is where a person literally gives up on their own desires to be themselves so they accept the roles that family or society wants them to be so they will literally adopt that and foreclose on their own desires the person who needs to fool the most is themselves of course in that the other is um, diffusion I think is the word it's called the identity is very diffused you get the real rebels fall into that category you know there is that that tension between wanting to fit into the group but also somehow being yourself as an individual because society is it's looking for structure and conformity and and clones almost trying to make us clones but we are individuals you know we're all the same that's one tenet of humanistic psychotherapy is every person is the same no one person is is more human than another fundamentally and at the same time we're all unique there's no two of us alike so there's the tension between that so as a teenager they really are struggling with yeah, trying to express their identity their individuality in a system that does not really allow it I think the debates that we did like the first two days was probably the best because like you got to give your opinion and listen to others opinions so we were given different scenarios and we were like given if we agree or we disagree or if we're kind of like in the middle like you don't know which side to go to Give us some examples of some of those situations. Um, one of them was like uh, about girls, how they dress going out to discos and like about the length of their skirts or their dresses or whatever else. And if you agreed with that, they were going out looking for trouble or they were looking for like names to be called, that if you agree or disagree. Mm. And what would you think about it? What's your opinion? Well, like, personally, like, I don't agree with like short skirts and that. Like, my mother won't let me out dressed like that. That's just the way I look at it, like... Do you know what I mean? Like, if like if you're going to go out like dress like that, then in a way you kind of are looking for trouble. But then again, I suppose like, like, like not just like boys, but like girls as well. Like, you have to have respect for like other people as well. Like, mm. so, yeah. But self-expression is important too, yeah. isn't it? As a teenager, as well. What do you think about that? As I was told, you can be anything you want to be, and like, uh, just because some people are doing this and some other people are doing that. Do what you want to do. Don't let anyone else influence your decisions. Like, if you want to do something, you want to be something in life, go for it. Mm-hmm. Don't have to be a follower. Be yourself. Yeah. I, guess, I think that's very important, the lesson people should follow. Yeah. And is it hard to do that? Do you find it, do you find it hard to do that? Uh, sometimes. Like, you see, uh, sometimes all your friends are like, oh, we're doing this, but maybe you wouldn't be comfortable to be doing this. You should do what you want to do. Like, you don't, as I said, you don't have to be a follower. Just be yourself it's as simple as that how easy is it to be yourself 
It's very hard because like there's different trends out there and like you expect everyone kind of stressed the same and all like even when you're going to discos like every girl is kind of wearing like a short scarf or whatever so you're kind of all dressed the same like it's all lookalike so like you'd look out of place if you're wearing like a long dress going to say ball that we like all of us here go to so it's kind of different it's hard like to express yourself even if you want to wear a long skirt or long dress like everyone like wears dresses and then the boys have to wear a shirt and tie and the girls have to wear a dress and you're not really allowed to wear anything else even if you want to yeah. It's 2018, like there's more people for like gender fluid kids and transgender people and stuff like that. Like if you want to try to express yourself, how are you supposed to if you're a girl and you have to wear a dress or you're a boy and you have to wear pants? <coughs> Do you know, people are struggling to find themselves but there's all these rules that you have to abide by just because you're a girl or just because you're a lad. But deep down, you might know that you don't want to be a boy or you don't want to be female or male. So how are you supposed to challenge that if you're told by society that you have to wear a dress because you're a girl? For young people nowadays, gender is full of choices that weren't recognised before. Gemma Lawler, guidance counsellor at Tyndall College, Carlo. It is becoming more of an issue. Um, And in a way, that's probably a good thing because we all are on the continuum. Um, we might say we were born male or female, but we are all on this line somewhere um, and we don't all fit into the you know, gender specific and we all have female traits and male traits. And I think it's it's great that young people, even you know older children now are aware that who you are comes first and your sexuality or your gender or both is not as important as being who you are, but it is part of it, Mm. but it's not the be all and end all. And you can be who you are now. And I think society is very accepting of people in their individuality, which Mm. is great, Mm, you know. And I'm finding the students are teaching us, us being people of an older generation, their acceptance and their willingness to embrace and be totally comfortable with um, people who are on the continuum in a way that we are not. Um, it's great. It's, it's lovely to see. And they're teaching us this acceptance. I think it's bad that society gives people a norm that, or like it gives them a role that they should be fulfilling and they're not able to express themselves. It's um, very just closed-minded, I think. And like it's hard enough with your peers to try fit in as well. Teenagers nowadays are having a completely different experience to teenagers years ago who often didn't have access to second-level education. Thomastown native and former principal of Ballyhale National School, Joe Dunphy. To start with, there was no second-level school here in Thomastown. Uh, So if you wanted to go on, you either went as a boarder if your parents could afford to send you to a boarding school. Uh, You could cycle to Kilkenny to uh, the vocational school that was there or to St. Kieran's or to the CBS uh, or uh, if you were lucky enough as I was to get a scholarship uh, which took me to a second level as a boarder uh, but that was the way of it and no quite a lot quite a lot of the people uh, of my generation uh, didn't go on to second level most of them either went working locally with farmers if they were lucky enough to be apprenticed to a tradesman which at the time what you did you went to work with the tradesman you weren't involved in in second level school or anything at the time or indeed i'd say the biggest percentage 
would have taken the emigrants' boat, most of them to England, and a lot of them never came back. Meanwhile, Victor Hennessy's time in the CBS Kilkenny got cut short following the bad weather in 1946. I went there for four years, and I was intended to continue on in school. At least my, my mother was. My father was died when I was only nine years of age. I think he got TB. It was a big killer in those days. But anyway, I continued on until the very bad harvest of 46. And I left school in 46 to help to save the harvest. So it was voluntary labour. Came out from Kilkenny for to help to save the harvest. Girls from Woolworths and different schools, the Monster House. Army trucks used to bring him out along the road. And you left school then and you didn't go back? I left school and didn't go back, no. Are there any advantages that you see of being a teenager now than years back? I don't think like that they were judged as much like... like social media. Yeah, so like I think social media has a massive influence on it. Like You're always supposed to look a certain way and you're supposed to act a certain way. But back then, like if girls wanted to wear shorts, they could wear shorts to school. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't so, like, girls have to wear a skirt. Like, girls could wear pants back then and they could kind of, just in their own comfort zone. To post it on. Yeah. Or, you know, care about how many likes you get on Instagram or how many Facebook likes you get. Or, like, oh, I won't be able to, like, do this because a certain person will comment bad on it or something like that. Like, so much judgment, like, for our age. And how do you yeah. mind yourself in that, though? How how do you kind of say, well, do you, are you on social media? You are. Yeah. How do you manage it for yourself? I suppose when you get likes on something, you do feel, like, happy about yourself. But then, like, there's people that could, like, comment on it. And, like, it kind of, one bad comment just turns your whole way to look at the photo of yourself. Like, you might think you look lovely in it. But then just one person, like, turn around saying that. You know, you don't look nice or something like that. You just, it'll turn you off the phone because if you look at it again, that memory will just come back to you and just, you know, you can't get it out of your head type thing. For teenagers, social media has added a whole new dimension to their experiences and development that is not always positive. Jacinta Purcell, Youth Information Officer at Ossery Youth Kilkenny. When you put peer pressure and social media together, um, it's, it can have a massive impact on young people and not always in a, in a positive way. Social media is probably the biggest thing. It can be a really, really positive thing in young people's lives, but it can be absolutely, you know, so damaging and destroying as well. And, you know, face-to-face conversations and the art of conversation is kind of lost now with young people um, because they just could be sitting beside each other and they'd send a text rather than have a conversation. And if you can't have a conversation and you have something going on in your life, then you're not as likely to ask someone for support or for help because you actually don't know how to. So and then sometimes they go online to look for that support and there are some fantastic websites out there for young people but there are other ones that are are not as 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 beneficial to them so and I, I really do value the, the the art of conversation and that's where you get the support and we were talking about today that if you post a comment about somebody you can't see them because you can't see their reaction whereas if you say it face to face you can Social media creates a face behind which people can hide, according to psychotherapist Mark Redmond. A split we all have as individuals is how we feel on the inside versus how we 
you know, the mask we present to the world. That was a, you know, a standard dilemma in, in psychotherapy. But something I'm starting to notice now in the work is that, never mind the mask that we present to the world as we meet people face to face. Now what's almost more important with young people is the profile that they have online. They're more worried and anxious about that. Whether that technology is the cause of the rise in anxiety or is that a manifestation of it, that's hard to say, really. There is a debate going on. Is social media, for example, causing more anxiety in people? You know, children are more anxious in school and whatever. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. You know, another way is that more people in the past, was their anxiety more suppressed? It was suppressed so far they didn't even know they were anxious. I, I can look back now and see... Um, you know, they've always have said that Sarah, oh, I had a happy childhood. But now when I look back, I say, no, it wasn't all roses. I was anxious. Unknown to myself at the time, really. Mm. So maybe the environment now is allowing that to come out, which, which would be a very positive thing. An anxiety that is felt and expressed is much more healthy than one that is repressed. For Gemma Lawler, the evolution of digital media has been the most significant change she has witnessed in her 20 years as guidance counsellor. Also interestingly, the recession has had an effect on teenagers. The economic depression of the last 10 years has had a really strong impact on families and expectations and lifestyles. And very often we come across students who who lack the motivation or lack the dream and the belief that they can become whatever it is they want to become because that 10 years really hit their families and their older brothers and sisters and parents mm-hmm. and that kind of hope was knocked out of them to a certain extent. So we're just beginning to build up on that again, be building up on the belief in self that things are possible. But economically, obviously, the country has gone ahead, but we're now dealing with the children of people who were really part hit. It's important for society to support and nurture our school children and adolescents. They are, after all, the leaders of the future and the ones that create the new possibilities in an ever-changing world. Studies have shown again and again and again that teenagers are risk-takers and that comes with the fact that they're not afraid, right? But it's actually a part of your personal development to, to take risks during those teenage years. And I think that's a very healthy thing as long as it is focused in a positive or a, a, a you know constructive way rather than a destructive way mm. um, but it is natural and very important that young people do take risks because how else is our world going to evolve and so we leave the schoolboy stage and in the following program look towards Shakespeare's next act lover then the lover sighing like a furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow as We Like It was produced by Monica Hayes and made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.